This is, a, this is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke chapter 4, beginning at the ver- first verse. Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, full of Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led, up, led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give you their glory and all this authority, for it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. If then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and only serve him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of a temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to protect you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread all through the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Loving God, may the words that come from my mouth be inspired by your Holy Spirit. I pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, we've officially begun our Lean Into Lent. And we began on Wednesday with our Ash Wednesday service services. Uh, but it's normally on the first Sunday of Lent when most people are reminded often by the change of colour in the church or the minister's first sermon, um, that Lent has begun and think to themselves, oh, that's right, I was supposed to give something up, wasn't I? Lent can be significant. And I'm often surprised uh, by the churches who I would not normally expect that would observe Lent and how they become captivated uh, by the season and what it can offer. Earlier this week um, we had um, a, a great visit from, from Dale, who many of you know was a minister in our church, um, and, and they've decided in the Baptist church where he's now serving that they're going to observe Lent and have an Ash Wednesday service, but they borrowed some Anglican ash to do it properly. So, <laughs> But apart from helping us develop good habits and spiritual practices, Lent can help us prepare to hear again the extraordinary work of God in Jesus. Lent can ensure that Easter never becomes ordinary. Easter and all that it represents is not normal. In our race in the coming weeks to return to what we knew as normal, I pray that we will be reminded in this Lenten journey that 
the one thing that is never normal about what we do as a Christian faith and as church and as believers in Jesus, which holds on our Easter truth, that is extraordinary, it is not normal. And Lent helps us to prepare to hear again this story, but with a fresh perspective, with new insights and an openness to the continuation of that extraordinary work of God in and through us and others. But I want to focus this morning on what might, on the surface, seem a pretty obvious theme based on uh, the reading that Alex read for us. I want to talk about temptation. Temptation can be hard to talk about openly and honestly, especially in a church context. We can worry about any discussion that we might have having the potential to devolve into something that would be considered too racy. Or maybe that somebody might find a little too provocative or salacious. Or on the other hand, we might be fearful that we might come across as being too moralistic. But I don't think that talking about temptation needs to be either titillating or ultra-conservative. It just needs to be open and honest and realistic. Part of being open and honest and realistic is how we approach this particular passage. I've heard preachers and Bible scholars categorise the temptations of Jesus in a way that helps us to deal with the temptations that we face in our lives. And I've preached this way in the past myself. But if we are being honest and realistic, I have to say from the outset that Jesus does not resist temptation or overcome testing for the sole purpose of providing us a model of how we should do the same. The temptations that Jesus faces are next level. Be interested to know if you're brave enough to put your hand up, if you've ever been tempted to turn stone into bread, become king of the world, and have angels catch you when you're falling from a great height. Anyone? There was one at 7.30, and I'm going to buy that person a cup of coffee because that's going to be a really interesting story, I reckon. But I don't think it's the story of most of us. The temptation I most regularly struggle with is what to do with that open box of, of chicken crimpies I notice in the cupboard after everyone has gone to bed. It's a temptation I rarely am able to resist, unfortunately. In my ministry, I have talked with many people who have struggled with different types of temptations in various ways. But I'm yet to find a single person who has mentioned that in their struggle, they have experienced a manifestation of ton diablon, the diabolic one, who we call the devil. What we hear read today is cosmic conflict stuff. But what we can take from this passage is that we don't personally have to defeat the diabolic one. We just have to say yes to the one who did. It might seem like we're jumping around Luke's chronology and Luke's gospel a bit, and we are, 
But if you look closely at these temptations that Jesus resists, they are very, very closely linked to the mission that he's about to begin and that we've begun exploring over the last few weeks after Christmas. Jesus will shortly in this journey feed thousands of people. He will make himself more vulnerable on the cross than we could ever imagine. And he will take on the principalities and powers of the world and conquer them. But not here and not now and not in the ways that Ton Diablon is tempting him with. I heard somebody say this week, there are wrong ways to do good things. And while we're not called to replicate identically Jesus' 40-day temptation-busting marathon, I think there is a lot we can actually learn from, particularly about who Jesus is and how we might respond to who Jesus is. By placing Jesus' genealogy before this passage in chapter 3, Luke invites us to make a big comparison. And that's with the other great temptation story that we find in Genesis 3. The temptation in the Garden of Eden. But on the other side of this passage we have the teaching that we've been unpacking since the 23rd of January about meeting the needs of the poor, the captive, the blind, the oppressed, the hungry, the sad, the hated and the excluded and how we will find Jesus with these people and the call of Jesus for us to come alongside with him into those places with those people. The contrast though to Genesis chapter 3 is that where we find Adam and Eve succumbing to the temptation and the result of this is a loss of a sense of life in God's presence. Jesus' resistance to the temptation in this moment, in the wilderness, a bit of a contrast between garden and wilderness as well, but it's the beginning of the restoration of the life that had seemed to have been lost. But it's a restoration of that life, especially to those who at that time might have been considered to be the lowest form of life. If Luke wants us to remember Adam and Eve's temptation, which represents the capacity for sin in all of humanity, then maybe in this account of Jesus' temptation, we can see the character of God who, through Jesus Christ, provides forgiveness and grace and meets us in our struggles when we can't overcome because Jesus has overcome. So I want to take uh, a little bit of a look at each of these Uh, three temptations not so that we can say okay well the next time somebody asks me to be king of the world this is how I'll respond but that we might see a little bit of the character of Jesus revealed 
The first temptation we find in verses 3 to 4. Given the comparison uh, we've just made and linked with Genesis chapter 3, it's quite significant that this first temptation is around food and eating. Only this time it's forbidden bread and not forbidden fruit. The temptation is for Jesus to use his authority as the Son of God to meet his personal need in that moment, to quench his desire for food and refreshment. While attending to his own desires, I'm sure, was an ongoing temptation throughout Jesus' ministry, it's especially apparent when we see Jesus on the cross as he's attempted by the onlookers to save himself. We see Jesus meet temptations in situations of tremendous suffering. And this one comes at a time of severe hunger. As we hear him announce in Luke chapter 4, as he calls out, and says, I will be alongside the poor, oppressed, the captive, and the blind. That Jesus' ministry focus is not for the benefit of himself, but for the benefit of us and others. I wonder how that sits with you when you realize that we believe in a God that put everything of God's self aside just for us. The second temptation we follow in verses 5 through 8 as Jesus is offered the authority and the glory of all the kingdoms of the world. This one, I think it's a bit poignant in this time of human history, isn't it? For Jesus, this was actually a temptation to embrace what people were actually expecting a Messiah would do, exercise political and military might to overcome the enemy. But Jesus rejected this, and in his rejection is a clear sign that his mission and his ministry is different. Saving others, not asserting worldly power. I wonder what that means for us now. Do we still see Jesus as different? Or over the last 2,000 years, have we pasteurized and homogenized Jesus to a point where Jesus just fits in with the culture of the time? It's not what we're seeing in this passage at all. The third temptation is in verses 9 through 12. Jumping from the highest point of the temple can be the most difficult of the three temptation scenes to interpret. And I know I've struggled with this over the years um, the most. On the surface, the devil's invitation is uh, to show a spectacle of awe-inspiring wonder to those who would see so in part, this temptation is another alternate path 
that Jesus could follow that might lead to power, fame and riches rather than acts of service and suffering on the cross. But I think there's more to this. We see in Jesus' response the folly of, prov- of trying to prove or to justify who he was and why he had come. You see, over and over throughout the Gospels, that Jesus resists this temptation to prove or to justify and focuses on the mission of serving and saving. I wonder what that means to us this morning or whatever time you are listening to this message that we have a saviour who didn't see the need to prove who he was. His life, his death, his teaching, his resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit was more than enough. But is that more than enough for us? While we can be thankful that Jesus has overcome, there are certainly some practical things that we can take with us and reflect on as we begin our journey through Lent. I found seven, there's heaps more. Um, But these simple things, I wonder whether some of them, maybe all of them, but maybe one or two might really resonate with you as a reflection point as we begin our Lenten journeys together. Firstly, as much as the world around us seems to be motivated to look after itself, Christians are called to look out for one another. One of the most effective ways to overcome our own desire to self-protect, self-gratify and self-promote is to become aware of the needs of others, especially those who would have identified themselves as the poor, the captive, the blind and the oppressed, the hungry, the sad, the hated and the excluded. So this Lent, how will you approach others? How can you Think less of yourself and more of those around us. Secondly, while none of us might have um, aspirations for world domination, we each have much more power than we actually realise. A lecturer I had while I was in theological college wrote a paper and she had this amazing quote that I've used a number of times over the years. She said, we have failed to take into account the depth of our power in relation to each other, to love each other into being or to thwart life and maim each other. This lands, I wonder how we could use our power to love each other into being. Thirdly, The temptation to be noticed is one that we struggle with. 
from our early, earliest experiences of peer-to-peer -peer relationships. And I'm finding the older I get, it doesn't get any easier. The pressure to defend or justify is something that Christians have had to deal with more and more over recent years. But Jesus' example of knowing what he's called to do and getting on with it can be something that we can model our lives on as well. We do what we do because of who God is and not who we want to be or how we want to be seen by others. So I wonder this Lent, how will we just get on with it? Fourthly, in each of Jesus' temptations, he replies with words of Scripture. And over the years, much has been made of this style of response, inviting us to respond to life's challenges with a carefully quoted verse from Scripture. If you had an experience like mine growing up, uh, going to Sunday school, we were drummed into us those memory verses. Um, and I didn't remember any of them. Going to theological college didn't help either. That's what we've got Bibles for after all, isn't it? But as much as it can be helpful to actually have a verse that we can rest on when everything else fails, I wonder if it's not so much that Jesus quotes Scripture to deflect temptation as it is that Jesus finds in Scripture the words that give voice to where his trust lies. At the heart of each reply is Jesus' absolute trust and dependence on God for his identity and his future. So one of the things that people are often encouraged to do during Lent is to take up reading more of the scripture. So as we do that this Lent, Will we find ourselves depending more on God for our identity and our future? Fifthly, there is a critical link between trust and temptation. If we trust God for our daily needs, for a sense of purpose, for our identity as a child of God, the temptations of the world will they actually sort of paid in, fade into insignificance and they don't have much appeal at all. But if we allow our natural insecurity to lead us to mistrust God, we can become open to the lie that it's all up to us, that God is not able to provide and so we need to take matters into our own hands. If we are to give up something for Lent, I wonder if we could give up our reliance on that lie that it's actually up to us and just trust God a little bit more than we usually do. Sixth, trust is at the heart of every relationship, but particularly our relationship with God. And we need the support of community to grow in our ability to trust and to live out in that sense of abundance and courage 
rather than a sense of scarcity and fear. If you notice carefully in this passage, you'll see that Jesus goes into the wilderness just after his baptism. And while he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Baptism in the church is membership of the family of Christ. And one of the ways that we remember our identity is to be around that family. Haven't you seen those images on on the television? You might have experienced some yourself when you get together with family members that you haven't seen and you see that happening on the television, how that sense of who you are is complete. I wonder whether this Lent we might seek after community more than what we might have done over the last two years with a sense that in that community we actually find more of who we are. Lastly, although the temptation story doesn't offer an ethical instruction guide for every possible temptation that we might face. It does name our temptation to forget our identity, to attempt to use religion for our own gain, and to try and be, success, to, to, but try and be successful rather than faithful, and to be dazzled by the riches of the world in which we live. It reminds us that we can be tempted to compromise where we are called and to compromise our standing firm in an attempt to avoid the path of sacrifice and suffering. For me, this is going to be the one that I'm really going to take into my Lenten journey. Jesus chose suffering. I do everything I can possibly do to avoid it. I think most of us do. And this story might be first and foremost a statement of who Jesus is. But maybe this has something to say to me in the times when I'm suffering and the paths that I might sometimes choose to follow. So this land, one of the things that I'm really going to try and dig into is try and understand better what was it about Jesus' choice of the path of suffering that has something to say not only to the whole of humanity but to me personally? Well, there's so much more than this in this passage. Um, I don't have the ability to preach uh, for 45 minutes, thankfully, (laughs) like some preachers do. But it's one of those passages that you could dig in and get really, really deep and gritty and meaningful. So I do hope that you'll take the time uh, to avail yourself of the resources on our website uh, in your own um, private time this week. But the one thing I hope that we can realise, if there's one thing to take away, is that Jesus is the overcomer. And on the cross, Jesus continues to overcome In the work of the Holy Spirit, that sense of overcoming is still being lived out in the life of the church and in our world. We don't have to personally defeat the diabolic one or the diabolic situations that we find ourselves in at this moment or that we might meet in the future. We just have to say yes to the one who did. 
as we lean into Lent, I wonder if we can try and lean into saying yes more often. Let us pray. Loving God, help me to say yes when I want to say no. Help me to see who you are in this amazing passage of the revelation of the character of Christ. And help me to stand in awe of who you are. And in that sense of awe, might I see who I am in you. As you said no to temptation, might I say no to the distractions of the world in which I live. But when I fail, help me to continue to come back and say yes to your invitation of grace and forgiveness, of welcome and restoration and hope that I might find in you only true hope, my purpose, and might I see in those around me, those who I do life with, those who I encounter in incidental occasions, your active work in the world, and be reminded that you are not finished yet. Amen. Let's stand as we continue to sing together.